Thanks for joining us today on the Average Saint Podcast. Please note that this podcast contains descriptions of abortion procedures that may not be suitable for young listeners. Well, welcome to the Average Saint Podcast, where we help the average saint live out their extraordinary calling in Jesus Christ. This is Season 2, Episode 5, February 17th, 2023. In ancient times, several nations in the ancient Near East sacrificed their children to a god called Molech. It was represented by a bronze statue with the head of a bull and with arms outstretched before it and palms open. The statue was heated by fire and children were placed on its hands to burn to death in agony while the priests beat out drums to drown out the screams of the baby. What would motivate people to do such an evil thing? Well, the simple answer is that they thought it would work. They thought it would work to secure them prosperity, deliverance from drought and famine. They thought if they sacrificed their children, they'd get out of a bad situation. While this practice is horrific and gruesome to modern ears, the reality is this kind of evil still takes place today, although not in the same way. Today, babies are sacrificed in the womb, or even just as they are born. People now give over their children to death to get out of a bad situation and secure prosperity or a better career. Abortion, however justified, is a modern-day form of child sacrifice. Our society is really no better than those who have come before us. A disturbing example of this just occurred recently in Canada. On February 2nd, 2023, a child full term at 38 weeks old was injected with a substance to keep it from crying, removed from his mother, and then killed. And this took place in Quebec. This was a late-term abortion, the latest one known in Canada. Really, this was a form of infanticide. And yet this evil is legal in our country. In Canada, since 1988, the Supreme Court of Canada in R v. Morgenthaler ruled that the abortion provision in the criminal code was unconstitutional. Since that time, no law has been legislated to regulate the provision of abortion. As a result, annually, approximately 95,000 babies are murdered in the womb in Canada out of a desire to secure prosperity. While many Canadians continue to worship Molech in spirit, things seem to be shifting at least slightly with our neighbors in the South. Just over 50 years ago, Roe versus Wade changed North American society. Abortion on demand became legal. However, recently, that landmark decision to endorse the modern worship of Molech was overturned by the Supreme Court. How that decision will affect our situation in Canada, time will tell. We pray that we'll have a positive effect on saving lives. However, the saints here still have to face the present evil with grace and truth. How can the average saint hope to engage faithfully in these days of the modern worship of Molech in Canada? How can we graciously and wisely engage with those who think abortion is no big deal and even a life-giving solution? Well, joining me today to help us think through these questions is our dear sister, Kiana. 
Kiana has worked within the pro-life movement for over 10 years and has experience on the front lines of pro-life activism. She's worked as a pregnancy crisis counselor and has much experience in defending the rights of the pre-born. So welcome, sister. Good to have you on the show. Thanks for having me. It's yeah. a joy to be here. Yeah, and this is the second time now. You were on the show like, what, three years ago? That's right. In wow. 2020. Man, yeah. that was great. With your hubby. Yes, we talked about being a Christian witness in nursing. So. Yeah, that's great. I remember that was an excellent podcast. Question, how did you start getting into this particular work? So I was awakened to the reality of abortion in Canada for the first time when I was in high school. Um, during my grade 10 to 12 years, the Lord was doing a lot of sanctifying work in my life. I remember learning about abortion for the first time in grade 12. Mm. I didn't have previous knowledge of it. I remember being shocked to learn that, as you said, there's almost 100,000 yeah. babies that are killed by abortion in Canada every year. Mm. And interestingly, at the same time, I was studying history in social studies, and I was learning about um, the atrocities that happened during World War II mm. and the Holocaust. And I can remember a morning lecture that we had where we watched a documentary about what had brutally happened to Jewish people during Nazi Germany. And I remember sitting there as a teenager and wondering to myself, what would I have done in that situation? Would I have been in the vast majority of Christians that stayed silent? Mm. Or would I have been somebody that spoke up for those who couldn't speak for themselves? And as I asked that question, the Lord convicted me that I actually didn't have to ask what I would do hmm. in that situation because a similar injustice is happening today. Right. And I was staying silent. And so the Lord really gave me a burden to speak for those who can't speak for themselves, for the most vulnerable in our society, those that have no voice, which in Canada is the pre-porn. What I did is I just started talking to people in my high school about abortion. I started writing letters to the health minister, the chief medical medical officer of health, you know, my MLA, very impassioned and zealous um, grade 12 student. And then I just started, um, you know, researching about the topic and finding pro-life apologists like Scott Klusendorf and Stephanie Gray. Um, online to educate myself about about how to talk to other people about abortion. Um, so from there, I joined the Campus Pro-Life Club once I started university to mm. be a nurse and got involved with that group. They introduced me to an organization called the Canadian Center for Bioethical Reform. Ah, yes, yes, yes. And so what they do is they use abortion victim photography in mm -hmm. educational displays mm -hmm. to make abortion unthinkable mm -hmm. um, and to engage people in conversation to change hearts and minds on this issue. Mm -hmm. So I was compelled by their work and I actually moved to Toronto and did that for two summers. And then while finishing up nursing, I also worked at um, the Back Porch which oh. is a pregnancy resource center here right. in Edmonton. It's about five minutes from here, and yeah. they actually are directly across the street from the abortion clinic in Edmonton. Right. So the majority of the moms that come in to the back porch have an abortion scheduled that day. Mm. Many of them are actually going there by mistake, thinking mm. it's the abortion clinic. Mm. And so they're not deceptive at all, but they have this opportunity to tell them the truth about their preborn child and what abortion will do to their child and also offer support right. um, to these moms that are in desperate circumstances. So right. the pleasure of working with that group. And then since then, right now I work as a nurse. <laughs> um, one of the areas I work in is neonatal intensive care. So I have the ultimate comeback when people say pro-lifers don't care about babies after they're born. <laughs> <laughs> No uh, because kidding. I work in the NICU, so yes, I do. You're fighting um, to keep them alive. <laughs> 
But one one thing that I see in the work I do now, which is a little bit more indirectly related to the pro-life movement, but many of the parents of babies I take care of actually chose life for their children. So I work with a lot of babies who have chromosomal abnormalities, mm. congenital heart disease, mm. really serious, often genetic diseases and disorders. Mm. And these parents were not only given the option of abortion, but in many cases pressured firmly by their healthcare providers. Wow to choose abortion because it's much easier to kill a child before they're born than give them the intensive care that they need mm -hmm. after they're born. And so, you know, one of my personal goals is to be the first healthcare provider that they encounter that tells them that they did the right thing. Amen. You know, that their child's life has value. Amen. That their child's going to have a great life. It might be difficult, but it's going to be good. And right. just that, to be the first person that's actually supported them in the, the choice that they made to keep their baby. Amazing. So God's got you on the front lines speaking truth to those who have opted for life when the medical system was telling them to choose an abortion. That's incredible. What a great, wow, what a great ministry. I had no idea that that was uh, how that trajectory was working. Okay, so, you know, you mentioned something about the Holocaust and the history of that. This is a bit of a, a side question, but is that one of the problems with abortion today, do you think, that because the injustice is veiled, like mm -hmm. it's not exposed? You mentioned your work with the CCBR, how they use imagery, which I've seen, and it's, it's, it's hard to look at, but it's the reality. I mean, mm -hmm. these are the things that are actually taking place. Do you think that's still, a, a, like uh, in terms of the Canadian landscape, for exposing the injustice? Is this still something that we need to be focusing on? Or is it too much of a shock to people? I mean, I know you did it for two years, so obviously <laughs> you think it's good. It, you know, it's difficult to do. Yes. And I'll say, I do not like showing people pictures of abortion. Gotcha. I do not like to do it. I hate looking at those photos. People have very emotional responses when they see those yep. photos. But when people see a picture of what abortion has done to a child, right. and it's very obvious that it is a child that has yes. been killed when you see a photo, they feel more negatively about abortion. Yes. They might feel more negatively about me as well, Yes, but it doesn't matter because they feel more negatively about abortion. And when we think about injustices of the past, injustices have perpetuated when the victims of those injustices have been hidden from right. the public eye. Right. So, you know, we can look at World War II, we can look at the transatlantic slave trade, you know, abuses in child labor in the right. 20th century in the United States. And what actually brought about change in society is when those victims were brought to the light right. and when their stories were told through photos. Right. Because dehumanization always leads to victimization. Right. That's what happened in the Holocaust. That's what happened in these other injustices. Mm. And the way that we've dehumanized the preborn is by, you know, masking the choice of abortion with these slogans like my body, my choice. Right. You know, a woman's right to choose. It's just a clump of cells. You know, I've often thought that if abortion clinics were made of glass, we wouldn't have the same Hmm. pro-choice consensus that we do. Hmm. And so we'll talk a little bit later about how to speak to people about abortion. Right. We have to convey the humanity of the preborn, yeah. but we also have to convey that abortion is a human rights violation. Right. And when people see that visually, it changes how they feel about abortion and that feeling change prompts a behavior change. That's excellent. 
No, thanks for pointing that out. I, I, I agree with you. I, I do think that um, the gruesome nature of what we already talked about in the introduction, sacrifice of a child writhing in agony in the hands of a, a red-hot bronze statue is a pretty awful picture. And so we can see and we can recognize that's just, this is horrific, mm -hmm. what leads people to this. But we don't see what takes place. Unless, of course, there are individuals like yourself and people like organizations like CCBR that are actually working to do that. So I agree. It's a hard pill to swallow. But as you said, that dehumanization has to be unveiled. And so I think that's an excellent point. So abortion situation in Canada, what are the numbers? We quoted one in the introduction, almost 100,000 every year. Uh, what are the practices? What are the reasons Mm -hmm. Give us some stats so that our listeners can understand mm -hmm. the landscape of how big this actually is. So as you mentioned in the introduction, when um, the abortion provision was struck down in R.V. Morgenthaler, yes. the courts gave instruction to Parliament to draft abortion re regulations in Canada. They never did. Oh. So what that has resulted in is that abortion is legal throughout all nine months of pregnancy in Canada. So wait, let me, let me get that straight. The courts told the parliament to draft legislation? Because they, they struck down the provision for abortion. And what the criminal code says in Canada is that you are not a person right. until you have fully exited the birth canal in a living state from the mother. So what that means is that, you know, as we heard this horrifying story of, you know, a baby at 38 weeks gestation. Yeah, so they broke their own more than More than full term. Well, well no, it's it's actually perfectly legal for us to, to oh. kill that child because they're not a person until they fully exited the birth canal. Dang. So most people don't know this, but abortion is legal in Canada throughout all nine months of pregnancy mm. for any reason or no reason at all. We have one of the most permissive abortion regimes in the world. Hmm. You know, we're in the same category as countries like China and North Korea in wow. terms of how extensive we allow abortion, hmm. um, even compared to other Western nations, like obviously the United States, but also European countries. It could be for any reason or no reason at all. I think people aren't aware that in Canada, um, sex-selective abortion is perfectly legal. So somebody could abort their baby girl just because they're a girl. It's publicly funded. Every paycheck, you and I give money towards supporting abortion in Canada. And in Alberta, teenagers don't even need parental consent nor parental notification to hmm. have an abortion. So if you can imagine that, you know, a school nurse can't give Tylenol to a 14-year-old girl with a headache without calling the parents first. But that same nurse, if that student confides in her that she's pregnant, can talk to her about abortion, schedule an appointment. They can have it done. The parents don't have to consent, nor do they need to be notified. So it's very extensive. And something that I think is sobering is, you know, by the time we all go to bed tonight, 300 preborn Canadians will have been killed by abortion. And one of the clinics that's doing that is about five minutes from our church. So let me get this straight. Correct me if I'm wrong. There's only really one law then regulating abortion in Canada. And that is when the baby exits the birth canal. That's it. So if baby's halfway out, you can still kill baby. Technically speaking. So um, <clears throat> I guess I'll clarify to say we have no laws regulating abortion in Canada. We have no laws at all. The guidance that abortion is being performed under is this criminal code legislation that says you're not a person 
until you fully exited the birth canal. Gotcha. So what that has left is this, you know, complete open abortion regime. Individual um, medical associations, hospitals, practitioners will self-regulate in terms of how far they're going to go. So is it harder to get an abortion after, say, 20, 24 weeks, what we consider a late-term abortion? It is, okay. but it's not illegal. Uh, so that's how you can have this situation like what happened in Quebec. Right. I have heard of a baby that was aborted at 34 weeks at the Royal Alex here in Edmonton mm-hmm. because of, because the child had a disability. Wow. So somehow, and I don't mean to sound crass about this, but our governing officials and our legislators have made the birth canal into some sort of magic process that bestows personhood on someone. That that doesn't sound scientific to me. I would agree. Is it with scientific? You. Am I missing something? No, <laughs> it's completely arbitrary and it's the you most know, ridiculous. We can thing talk about this life. term person as well. And when we look at other injustices in the past, what did they say? Right. Not a person. You know, no one questioned that Jewish people were human beings. It's right. that they weren't persons. Right. They're not persons. African Americans in the United States were human. They weren't persons. That's right. And so separating human from person That has been done throughout history by powerful groups of people to discriminate against weaker groups of people because of an arbitrary characteristic about them. Right. You know, being a person, when we separate those things, what we're saying is that you have to be human plus something else to have value. And in the case of abortion in Canada, we're saying you have to be human plus fully exited the birth canal um, from in a living state from the mother. Which is completely logical. Like I said, I work in in neonatal intensive care. I've taken care of babies born at 23 weeks outside the womb. Wow. And as soon as they're out, you know, we perform life-saving, intensive life-saving care to save this child's life an hour before, you know, that six inches of the birth canal when they're still inside the mother's body. They weren't a person. They can be dismembered. Decapitated and disemboweled at the hands of an abortionist. This is happening in the same healthcare system. So it is, it's completely illogical. What it's not scientific. Okay, thanks for breaking that down for us. Now, obviously, there are a slew of pro choice arguments. I know this incites great emotion. And I was listening to uh, someone talk about uh, the response to Roe versus Wade just last week and how a lot of thinkers, speakers, authors, advocates in the States for the pro-choice movement were saying, you know, this is such a massive attack against uh, women's rights. And that's how they frame it. Women's rights, women's rights, women's rights. We're not going back. I think that was one of the the statements that were, was made. So let's take a look at pro-choice arguments then. What, what are they? How do you deal with them? And let's start with that one, you know, women's rights, because mm-hmm. uh, that's the big one. Well, I think when it comes to addressing pro-choice arguments, um, what we need to do is address the cognitive dissonance in our society Mm. of how we talk about abortion versus how what we intuitively know about pregnancy and about children before they're born. Um, So I I pointed this out um, before we were on air here, but the pro-choice movement has been very successful in masking the injustice of abortion through using slogans like a woman's right to choose, pro-choice. Um, my body, my choice. I was at a coffee shop um, recently and there was a t-shirt for sale with a uterus on it that said Mm. private property. You know, it's just a clump of cells. It's just a fetus. Right. But on the other hand, in our society, when someone finds out they're pregnant and they want to be pregnant, we respond in celebration. You know, when someone says that they're expecting, Mm. we don't have to ask what species. 
You know, we know that it's going to be a human being. And Uh, even, you know, when someone says, you know, I'm 14 weeks pregnant. Right. We don't ask from what. We know that something significant happened 14 weeks prior. Even medically, that's how we date pregnancy is based off of fertilization. Right. And yet when it comes to abortion, there's this huge cognitive dissonance. You know, even just think about the extent our society does to protect children before they're born in terms of healthy pregnancies. Mm. You know, like any restaurant you go to, you're going to see a poster that warns about the dangers of alcohol Mm -hmm. in pregnancy. There's no safe amount. Mm -hmm. And yet... The womb is the most unsafe place in Canada because those same children, if they're not wanted, women can, you know, have an on-demand access to have them killed by abortion. Hmm. So I think what we need to do when we're addressing pro-choice arguments is break that cognitive dissonance. So we need to bring the conversation from whatever objection they're bringing, so say like a women's right to choose, and use conversation tools to bring it to the central issue of the abortion debate. Uh, okay. And what I think that is, is who the preborn are and what abortion does to them. That is a central issue of the abortion debate. So, you know, if someone told me, you know, I believe in a women's right to choose, the first question I would ask is to choose what? Right. You know, that's actually an incomplete sentence. Right. Um, and I can make common ground with them and say, you know, I'm for people having choices. Yes. Um, I'm pro-choice about a lot of different things. Yes. You know, like what someone takes in university or the car that they drive. Right. Um, But aren't we against choices that harm other human beings? Aren't we against choices like the choice of domestic violence that harms another human being? Right. What are they going to say back to that? Well, the preborn are human beings. And so we've brought the conversation from the slogan or the objection that they've brought up back to that central point, which is what are the preborn? And what does abortion do to them? Hmm. And the way that we can do that too in conversation, I think it's important how we do that. I just want to touch on this briefly. That we do this in a way that shares the truth with them, but also does it in love. Mm. Um, you know, as you mentioned, people have so many emotions when it comes to the issue of abortion. Absolutely. And it's really important, um, if we're actually going to change hearts and change minds on this issue, we need to win the person, not just win the debate. Right. And so some tools that I've used to do that, that I've learned from my experience is things like making common ground with people. You know, agreeing with our opponents in what we can agree with them. Sure. To bring down those tensions and show them that we care. You know, tools like using analogies to compare born human beings to pre-born human beings Mm. to illustrate their humanity. And then I always ask a lot of questions rather than just telling them, you know, that they're wrong or that their worldview is incorrect. We can use questions as our Lord Jesus did Mm. when he talked to people to draw that truth out of people. Amen. Because um, that truth is written on their hearts. We just need to to bring them there. Right, right. So unmask the slogan by carrying it through to its logical conclusion. You mentioned something, the core issue here is who are the preborn. So unmasking that, the reality of what we're actually talking about, which is little human beings. And then finally, um, you know, engaging the person with some form of commonality using questions to draw that out, draw them into the conversation. Mm-hmm. I, I love the point that you made about this cognitive distance. I mean, we, we, we're we a society that is okay with cognitive dissonance as long as it makes us feel comfortable. And so the moment somebody pops the balloon of cognitive dissonance, we get real upset, generally speaking, because we realize, uh-oh, we can't maintain our comfortable position anymore. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Because this really is kind of, well... The magical birth canal, as you said, right? Mm -hmm. So one of the, I think, the most formidable objections that I've come across, and correct me if I'm wrong, but 
okay, uh, danger to a woman's life? So I think when we're talking to people that have the objection of what if the women's life is in danger, this objection only makes sense if we actually think that the preborn are human beings. Okay. Because if they're not human beings, then this objection doesn't really matter, right. you know, because abortion would be permissible. But the only reason this is an ethical conflict is if we think that two human beings of equal value right. have their life at stake. Uh, so I actually find that this is more of a question that Christians have to deal with. And, and I've talked to many Christians that have this, this objection, um, often with the wrongful assumption that abortion is necessary, even from a legal perspective, for these instances when, when a woman's life is in danger. Mm. And so to start talking to someone that doesn't think the preborn are human beings, um, we have to bring it back to that because right. this isn't an ethical conflict. Right. For a Christian, though, I think some principles that can guide our conversation is that when two human beings' lives are at stake, we should try to save as many as we can. Right. And if we can't save both, it is good to try to save one. But as Christians, how we do that right. matters. Mm. So we can't do evil to bring about good. Amen. And abortion directly and intentionally kills a human being. There so you. we can never do that to bring about a good outcome. But mm. that doesn't mean medically there are other things we can do to save the woman's life. Mm -hmm. So an analogy that I often give is imagine that you um, are a lifeguard on a beach. You mm. see two people drowning. Right. You dive in. You grab one person and save them, but um, you know you don't have the strength to carry both back to shore, so you only carry one, and the other person drowns. Mm. Did you kill that person? No. No, of course not. You were incapable of saving them. Right. If you had a flotation device, if you had more help, you would save both, sure. but tragically, you're not able to, yeah. but they died because you couldn't save them. However, it would be different if you jumped in the water, swam to one, put them on your back, swam over to the other, and held their head under the water. Right. Now have right. you killed them? Right. Yes, yes you have. Yes. Same outcome. Yes. One lives, one dies. Yes. Very different means. And so to be really practical about this, medically, we can intervene when the woman's life is in danger in a way that addresses the medical issue that is threatening both the woman and the child's life mm -hmm. by unintended yet foreseen consequence of that, right. we may be in a position where the child dies. Gotcha. But they don't die because we've killed them. Right. We would save them if the technology allows. And for instance, you know, babies after 22 weeks, we are able to save them with <laughs> intensive intervention. <laughs> but if they're earlier than that, they haven't died because we've disrespected their humanity and their dignity by ripping them apart in an abortion. Gotcha. They've died because we couldn't save them. So an example of this would be ectopic pregnancy. So fertilization happens in the fallopian tube. Right. Um, in a normal pregnancy, the baby implants into the uterine lining in about a week or so. Right. Sometimes the embryo can implant in the fallopian tube instead. Mm. This is a medical emergency. If nothing is done, the baby will grow, the tube will grow, and eventually the tube will burst. burst right. And both mother and child will die. Right. And so it is critical that we do something, you know, to save the life of the mother Absolutely. while honoring the child's life as well. So what we can do rather than an abortion which again, directly and intentionally targets the body of that growing human being, we can remove the fallopian tube that is expanding out of control and causing risk to the mom's life. Mm. Now, because of how old that child is, and because we don't currently have the technology to, to sustain their life, they may die. Mm. But it's not because we've killed them, it's right. because we're incapable of saving them. I just want to reiterate that from a legal perspective, right. there's no medical situation 
where abortion needs to be legal to save women's lives. Wow. You know, this is a big slogan, like pro-life, that's a lie, you don't care if women die. I've right, <laughs> heard right. that on many university campuses. But, you know, you can look up, there's a great resource called the Dublin Declaration, which was signed in Ireland by thousands of healthcare professionals working in the field of obstetrics. Mm. And what they are attesting to is that there's always something that can be done mm. to save the woman's life that still honors a child's life. Mm. You know, and in the most extreme of circumstances, we can induce an early label, labor. Right. You know, for something like an extreme form of preeclampsia, for instance, where the mother's life is at risk. Mm. And we'll try to save the child if we can. Right. But if not... And if they do die, it's not because we killed them. It's because we're incapable of saving. There you go. That's excellent. So motive and method are two big determining factors when it comes to that. But I appreciate what you said as well in terms of it's only an ethical issue if you actually concede that the baby's life is human. Because now you're in a conundrum. That's excellent. We talked about some of the methods and you briefly mentioned them. So in Canada, what is the primary method of abortion. I would assume that it probably varies from stage of development. Do you know mm -hmm. what it is? Like what's what's the primary yeah. abortion um, method in Canada? So in Canada, surgical abortions are the most common mm. and, and that would be more after eight weeks of pregnancy. In the last few years, they have legalized a different form of the abortion pill, which has made medical abortions slightly more common. Medical abortions would happen um, about in the first eight weeks for some medications for 70 days of pregnancy. Mm. And what essentially is being done during this stage is that the woman is prescribed a different concoction of medications that either, you know, attack the rapidly dividing cells of the human embryo or make the uterus inhospitable to, to carrying the pregnancy and giving the child the nutrient that it needs. And so, you know, women are prescribed these abortion pills, um, they'll take them and then, um, you know, the, the child's life will be ended through them and they'll deliver the I'm dead child. Born. That's very early in pregnancy. And something important to note is that the human heart starts beating three weeks after fertilization. Brain waves in a baby can be detected, you know, I should say in an embryo, because that's a, the stage of development we're talking about, right. can be detected just five weeks after fertilization. Right. By the eighth week of pregnancy, all major organs in the baby's body are present. Right. So, you know, the the brain is coordinating the muscles of the body, the baby's kidneys are filtering urine, their liver is filtering blood. All those ma major organs are there. And that's when most women find out they're pregnant. Right. So the amount of development that's happened at that stage already is miraculous. It's amazing. Right. But these children are vulnerable to abortion through, through these lethal medications. Um, after that... A surgical abortion can be done. So that's more um, looking at eight eight um, weeks and up. If the babies are under 20 weeks, then typically that's done through a vacuum aspiration. And so um, it's a surgical procedure where the women's cervix is dilated and the abortion instruments are inserted. Vacuum aspiration abortion um, is done using um, a tube with a very strong amount of suction, about 10 times more powerful than your household vacuum cleaner. And the child's body parts, you know, as horrific as it is to say, are, are ripped apart through this section and they're collected in a canister. Later in pregnancy, abortionists sometimes have to use forceps mm. to manually rip apart the pieces of the child and remove them from the uterus. Mm. Something I just found so horrifying to read was the Society of Obstetrics and Gynecologists in Canada hadn't had an induced abortion guideline. And in their own policy, they recommended that crushing and rotating techniques be used so that bone spicules do not lacerate the woman's cervix. 
Hmm. Whose bone spicules are we talking about? The child. The child before they're, uh, you know, when they're safe in their mother's womb. And then, uh, of course, with late-term abortion, um, probably what what occurred um, in this case in Montreal is that children are injected with a lethal medication to cause cardiac arrest. So whether that's potassium chloride or digoxin, you know, that ends the life of the child and then they just deliver. um, A stillborn child. Yeah, a child whose life is ended. And so maybe one thing that I'll touch on at this point, since we've talked about how horrific um, abortion is, is a little bit of the the heart issues when it comes to abortion. And, you know, I've spoken to hundreds of people about abortion and I want to get to Um, you know, the human rights argument, because I think that that's the most compelling way that we can make the case of the preborn and of their humanity. Right. But you will encounter people in your life in conversations that cannot be reached by logic. Mm. You know, abortion brings up this slew of emotions, whether it's anger, hatred, deep sadness for people. And I think what's important for us to recognize is that somewhere between one one in three and one in four pregnancies in Canada ends in abortion. And so when we're talking- Sorry, one in three. Somewhere between one in three to one in four. Wow. And so when we're talking to people about abortion, the likelihood that the person you're speaking to has either had an abortion or knows somebody close to them that has had an abortion is very high. And sometimes I've found that people who strongly defend the pro-choice position, it's not out of a logical argument. It's out of a defense. It's a defense of themselves or it's a defense of their loved one. And, um, you know, I've thought to myself, when they're so passionate about about this issue, I wonder if it's because what would it mean for them to admit that abortion does kill a human being and maybe even their own child? The weight of that would be too much to bear. And I think approaching this subject as Christians, this is where the hope of the gospel comes in for people. Because our society says, you are what you've done. And for someone to admit that they have made a decision to have someone end the life of their child is overwhelming. They can't Mm. bear that. But Christ says, look what I've done for you. Mm. You know, there's there's a slogan, it's my body, my choice. Mm. And the Lord Jesus instead said, this is my body Amen. broken for you. Amen. And so we can give these people the hope of the gospel, yes. which is the only hope that they can have to have true healing and true forgiveness and true redemption in Christ right. from their sin and from the gravity of what they've done. Right. But I think it's important to just think about that when we're speaking to people. Right. You know, a question I'll often ask people um, if I'm really meeting a lot of resistance is, when did you become so passionate about this issue? You know, people aren't always willing to share, but more often than not, there's a personal story there. Absolutely. And so there's this opportunity to share the gospel with people and share with them um, the hope that we can only have in Christ, that he covered our sins, including the sin of abortion. Yeah, thank you for um, bringing that up because you're absolutely right. I mean, nobody wants to. (laughs) When we talk to people about if they believe they're a good person, you know, the easiest answer is the quickest answer. Well, I haven't murdered anyone. The abortion issue brings that right to the center. And then admitting that is world-altering. That's uh, a complete and utter wake-up call to the reality, as you said, to the gravity of the situation. But as Christians, yeah, we're not just simply talking about an ethical issue. Mm -hmm. We're talking about an ethical issue that actually has a solution and a covering, and there's an answer for the shame and guilt that comes along with Mm -hmm. that. And that is obviously in in Christ's death for our sins. 
and resurrection. So you've talked about what's at the core of the issue, the definition of the preborn, the human rights issue itself, the sanctity of human life, the condition of the human heart. We talked about that as well. We looked at a few of the pro-choice arguments. One of the big ones was a danger to a woman's life. What about sexual assault? Someone gets pregnant at a rape. So again, this is a question where I think that we need to take pause when we interact with people on this question, because when someone asks, what about rape? They're not asking, are preborn children human beings? Right. They're asking, are you human? Right. Do you care about people that have gone through this? Ah. And so, you know, I had a friend on the phone one time um, and she she asked me this question, what about sexual assault? So again, I think we can make common ground with people and, and show that we truly have compassion for people that have experienced such a horrendous crime against them. So I said, you know, I can't imagine what it would be like to be pregnant as a result of sexual assault. I think that women in that circumstance need the support of their community, their church, mm -hmm. um, to support them, to mm -hmm. help them heal, to give them the resources they need mm -hmm. um, to heal from the trauma that was inflicted upon them. And I think the guilty right. rapist should be punished to the full ex extent of the law. Yeah. But then we can ask a question. I said, in a country that doesn't give the death penalty to a guilty rapist, why would we give it to an innocent child? Mm. So good point. What that's doing again is it's killing the wrong person. We're we're empathizing with them, mm. but then bringing the conversation to what are the preborn? Why should a child be punished for the crimes of their father? Right. And again, that comes back to, well, that's are the preborn human beings? Right. Wow, that's an excellent point. And and I think you know, with any difficult circumstance. Talking to people on the streets about abortion, I would say, you know, when I ask people, what do you think about abortion? Probably 80% of the time, they bring forth these very difficult circumstances that right. women might face in pregnancy, whether it's poverty. You know, perhaps a woman has no support. Mm. Perhaps a child has like a life-limiting diagnosis. Um, these really difficult circumstances. And again, I think as Christians, we need to show people that we do care about women in these situations. Absolutely. You know, like when I worked at the back porch, I saw women in these situations. And I do think that for not all, but for some women, abortion is a desperate solution to the difficult circumstance they're in. It's the wrong solution because abortion doesn't make a poor woman, woman rich. Right. It doesn't unrape somebody that's experienced the crime of sexual assault. Right. It doesn't fix relational issues, you know, in a marriage right. or um, in, a, in a dating relationship. Like I, I've often thought for people that think abortion is empowering to women, spend one day outside of the abortion clinic. Because people, nobody wants to have an abortion. Right. And you see that. Right. So when people bring up these difficult circumstances, again, I think we need to make common ground with them, but then use an analogy to compare a born child to a preborn child, and then ask a question, if we wouldn't kill a born human being because of, you know, whatever circumstance you want to insert, mm -hmm. why then we, would we kill a preborn human being in that same instance? So for instance, I talked to somebody at a high school once that said, you know, I support abortion for teenagers. So he was a young guy, he said, I'm 17. If I get my girlfriend pregnant, do you really expect me to be a dad at 17? <laughs> and so I can yes. make common, <laughs> the answer is yes, uh, but I can make common ground with what I can yeah. and say, you know, I agree with you. It would be difficult to raise a child as a teenager. But then I said, imagine though that you did get your girlfriend pregnant. 
let's say she, she carried her child to term. And after the baby was born, she found it was much more difficult than she originally anticipated. So she couldn't get her schoolwork done. Maybe she couldn't afford groceries anymore. All of her friends abandoned her. Mm -hmm. And in her desperation, she was thinking of ending the life of her born child. Would you be okay with that? What do you think he said? (laughs) Absolutely not. He said no. (laughs) So then Uh, I asked, well, if we wouldn't kill a born human being because their parents are teenagers, why then would we kill a pre-born human being if their parents are teenagers? That's right. So it's again, it's making that bridge from the circumstance that they're bringing to who the pre-born are and what abortion does to them. That's where I think we can instill something called the human rights argument that's mm. very short and simple, that I think is a really airtight case to prove the humanity of the preborn and that abortion is a human rights violation. Right. So through a simple set of questions, you can ask people, do you believe in human rights? What do you think they say? Yeah. Everybody, of course I do, right? I'm Somebody's going to get wise and they're going to say no. <laughs> right. And, and then you say, really? That's quite frightening. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, you draw that conclusion out of them. But that's right. Um, of course, people believe in human rights. And yeah. we know as Christians that human rights only make sense if there's a rights giver. That's right. Human rights only make sense because human beings are made in the image of God, therefore more valuable than any other um, species. Amen. You know, endowed with dignity by their creator. That's right. And we have we have rights. It's wrong to kill human beings. Mm-hmm. You know, this remnant of Christianity we have in our society, if you just ask people, do you believe in human rights? Mm-hmm. They might not know that they're on the shoulders of Christian founders when they say yes. And so then the question that we need to ask after that is, well, shouldn't human beings be for all members of the human family? So what about the human rights of a preborn child? And they'll say, well, that's not a human being, it's just a fetus. Again, we can ask, well, what kind of fetus? Because dogs have fetuses and dolphins have fetuses. Mm. Fetus is an age classification. Mm -hmm. It's actually Latin for young one. Right. It doesn't tell us what something is. It just tells us how old they are. That's right. And so the follow-up question we can ask is, if two he- human beings reproduce, what species will their offspring be? Mm-hmm. Human. That's right. That's we right. know that scientifically from the law of biogenesis, but you know, you don't have to be in the science field to know that. We know that human beings, if they have human parents, they will have a human offspring. That's right. Um, and scientifically, there's no debate over when human life begins. Virtually all embryologists in the world agree that human life is a continuum, which Mm. begins at that moment of sperm egg fusion. Gotcha. From there, that embryo is a whole human being. It's not a part of a human being. It's a whole human being. It has everything it needs to continue to the next stage of human development. Right. It has a full set of chromosomes. It's distinct from the mother. It's not Mm. a part of the mother because its DNA is different. Mm. It's growing, so it must be alive. Mm. And if nothing is done, that embryo will grow to the next stage of human development, fetus, infant, toddler, teenager, et cetera. Mm. And so we can simply say to people, do you believe in human rights? If two human beings reproduce, what species will their offspring be? Mm-hmm. If something is growing, then isn't it alive? And so if they say yes to all these things, we can say, well, if you believe in human rights and the preborn are human because they have human parents, mm-hmm. isn't abortion a human rights violation? Gotcha. So quick question then just popped into my head as, as we're talking here, we might have listeners out there who maybe even considering an abortion, where would you turn them? When engaging people considering abortion, we make a shift from the apologetics and realize that we're not trying to win a debate. We're talking to someone that's in a crisis and mm-hmm. going through distress. So 
as much as human rights argument is kind of what we need to say to our friends, our family that might support um, the pro-abortion worldview, when it comes to a woman in a crisis, we need to reach her with compassion, with calmness, and to enter into her suffering with her and show her that abortion is not the solution Mm. to the problem that she's facing. Three simple things I'd say is, you know, if I was talking to someone considering abortion, first I'll listen to them. Um, Ask them questions like, how did you come to your abortion decision? Right. Listen with um, compassion and try to understand what is actually driving this person to choose abortion. Gotcha. The second thing I would do is inform her. So, you know, graciously and truthfully, give her information about fetal development. Mm. Give her information about the abortion procedure. So I've asked women, you know, how far along are you? They'll say, I'm 12 weeks. You know, I've often had little fetal models with me of a 12-week-old baby Mm. and can show that to a mom because people don't necessarily know what their child looks like at that age. And actually, when they get abortions done in Edmonton, They have to have an ultrasound before the procedure and the abortion clinic will turn the screen away from the mother so that they don't have to look at what their child looks like. Wow. So we need to understand that these women are being deceived. They're being Mm. lied to by told being told that um, they need abortion and that their, their child is a clump of cells and it, you know, abortion's no harm, safe, easy, and legal. And so we can graciously give them the true information about who their child is and the abortion procedure. So, you know, I would ask a woman, do you feel prepared for your abortion procedure? Have they gone over to you um, with you what what is is going to take place? And just accurately and compassionately giving them that information. And then the third thing, so listening, informing, is offering to support her. So really being the church for somebody, figuring out ways to kill the problem that's driving this person to abortion rather than killing the person through abortion. Well, that's good. Kill the problem, not the person. Yes. Yeah. Like, what is it? Do, did, are they new to Canada? Are they in a bad relationship they need help getting out of? Do they need financial support? I talked to a woman once in Ontario when I was at a pro-life display, and we were asking people, what do you think about abortion? And we had some photos of babies that were 10 weeks that had been aborted. And as her and her boyfriend walked by, the boyfriend nudged the girlfriend and pointed at the sign I was holding and said, that's what's going to happen to our baby on Thursday. And so I had, by God's grace, this unique opportunity to, to talk to this mom who was scheduled to have an abortion. Wow. And so, you know, I, I asked her, how did you come to your abortion decision? I listened to her and she told me that she was homeless. She was an IV drug addict. She was um, addicted to heroin at the time. Mm. And she had no support from her family and from her from her boyfriend. She said that she had nowhere else to turn. You know, then there was that piece of informing her. She said, those pictures are, are really effective. No one told me that that's what it looks like. She had never seen that before. Mm. And at the end, I, I offered to support her. You know, I... We have to be pro-life both in word and in deed. Amen. And so I said, Amen. like, what what can we do here? Um, and I connected her with different ministries um, in her area to help her. And at the end, she said, I can't do that to my baby. And, you know, by God's grace, she chose life. Praise and the Lord. her daughter, um, actually on the same day that this horrifying abortion happened in Montreal, the 38-week um, baby that was killed, February 2nd is the birth date of her daughter, Ava. She turned seven years old <laughs> this oh, year. Praise God. You know, by God's grace alone. But that just goes to show that when we engage women compassionately and listen to what's actually driving them to abortion and provide practical solutions, yeah. with God's help, some women will choose life. Amen. And 
I just encourage um, people to, even in Edmonton, be familiar with the resources in our, in our area. So, you know, the Pregnancy Care Centre is a gotcha. great resource. The Back Porch um, helps women in need. We need to be willing to walk with women in their pregnancies and afterwards as well when they do choose life. So you mentioned Pregnancy Care Centre, Back Porch, obviously local church family. Any other supports out there? I would say a great resource website is choiceforto.ca. Choice for two. They are a database with all of the pregnancy help centers in Canada. Gotcha. And so, you know, if someone's listening to this and you're not in Edmonton, um, that's a really great resource. They can connect you with organizations that will provide life-affirming options in different cities around the country. But, you know, pregnancy care centers, they're really hubs for tons of other resources. Gotcha. So when I worked at the Back Porch, we would connect people to immigrant and refugee services, financial aid, Mm. social services, so I think just knowing where your local pregnancy resources are, and then of course, how the local church c- can help, they'll be able to point that mom in the right direction. And then Wonderful. it's just being a friend to her and right. walking with her. Right. Um, Companionship goes a long way. Yeah. That's fantastic. Well, we'll add that uh, to our, our podcast. We'll add that information, those links to our podcast as well for anybody who's looking for that information and needing that. Silly question, but I think we have to answer it. And you've already kind of hit the target, at least around the bullseye anyway. Why should Christians be even engaged in this kind of work? Why does it matter? I was uh, I heard a story, this is secondhand information, but it's a good source. I heard that there was a woman in a church here in the city who wanted to get involved in this kind of work. Their pastor, spiritual leader of the place said, you know, we have no business getting involved in the abortion field. Well, pro-life field. Mm -hmm. We have no business there. And I thought, wow, what a a terrible perspective. But I want to hear your answer to that. So why should Christians be engaged Mm -hmm. in this? Well, I think the most simple answer I can give is that we're told in scripture, the first and greatest commandment is to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. Abortion dishonors God Mm -hmm. and it destroys our neighbors. There you go. How can Christians sit silently when this is happening? And, you know, in James, it says that we're to care for orphans and widows. And in Canada, who is more of an orphan than the preborn child who is under threat of their life being taken away from them by an abortion doctor? That's right. Who is more of a widow than a mom who's been completely abandoned by her partner by her family, by her friends, right. and is facing a crisis of pregnancy. So I think this work is inherently Christian. You know, I, I think about the early church, how um, they rescued babies that were abandoned by That's the right. Greeks. I think that, um, you know, if we believe that all human beings are made in the image of God, we have the answer to why people even believe in human rights in the first place. And that's because as Christians, we value humans not based off of what you can do, which is what, um, you know, a lot of pro-choice arguments are. You know, you're not big enough. You can't think. The baby's too dependent on their parents. Christians value others based off of whose we are, mm. that we're made in the image of God. And so I think that this is a outworking of our fundamental beliefs. That's right. Well, I think that's an airtight theological foundation in case. Where would you go in Scripture? Like, you know, are there any go-to passages that you would say, okay, well, like, you know, Obviously, you just gave the greatest commandment from Jesus himself, but, and, you know, obviously James's exhortation, true religion, 
But what else, what other passages would you point to? Well, somebody, like I've had people say to me before, abortion's not mentioned in scripture. Right. But what we do know in scripture is that human beings are made in the image of God. Yeah. We know that from Genesis 1. That's right. We know that it's wrong to kill human beings. So Genesis 9. That's right. Um, you know, if if you shed blood, your blood will be shed because man is made in the image of God. That's right. So human beings are made in the image of God. It's wrong to kill human beings. And I think that scripture does show us that embryos and fetuses are human beings. That's right. So we can look to Psalm 139, for instance, mm. which shows God's intimate relationship with the preborn. Mm. I love Luke 1, mm. where John the Baptist leaps for joy when Mary walks in. And, you know, something I think that's really, um, really struck me and was powerful to me when I realized this is that our Lord Jesus had to live a perfect life. Um, throughout all stages of human development. He had to be fully human. When was his incarnation? You know? In the womb. <laughs> he didn't come here as a baby. That's right. He didn't come as a five-year-old. He wasn't dropped from the sky as a baby. He right. didn't even come as a six-month-old fetus That's like John right. the Baptist was. That's right. He came as an embryo. Yeah. And, you know, Elizabeth, when she encounters Mary, yeah. which probably just weeks after he yeah. was conceived, yeah. says that she's the mother of her Lord. Amen. She recognizes that Christ had come even as an embryo. You know, there is some scripture in the Old Testament um, that talks about, you know, for instance, punishment of harming women that are pregnant. Right. Which can be right. applicable. But I think that we can just look at those facts that human beings are valuable because they're made in the image of God. It's wrong to kill human beings. And I think scripture is clear that the preborn are human. Amen. Well said. Excellent. So you, you mentioned it already a little bit in terms of the resources, but how does, we know that we should be involved in this. I mean, we're to act justly, love mercy, walk humbly with our God. Uh, to ignore this level of injustice where innocent individuals are being murdered daily in our country is an abdication of our identity, our calling as those who are citizens of heaven. What then does the Christian do? How do we get involved? I mean, you'd mentioned a few things that how you were involved, but right now, like if somebody at the end of the week says, okay, I'm listening to this podcast, I'm in, gear me up, mm -hmm. where do I go? I think first and foremost, and I was convicted about this this week, just preparing for this podcast, we need to be in prayer about this issue desperately. Right. We need to be in prayer for um, our legislators. We need to be in prayer for women that have abortions scheduled. We need to be in prayer for people working in the pro-life movement. And I have seen that even working at the back porch, how prayer, um, how, just how effective prayer is. You know, mm -hmm. we can't do this work without God's help. A resource that I'd point to that's been impactful for me and is a great opportunity, especially for people living in Edmonton, is the back porch has a program where if you text the word back porch to 833-689-0551, maybe I can get yeah, we'll put that, that to, down. Wrote, to write down. Yeah. They send out text messages. It's called the Text to Save a Life program. They will send out text messages when they've spoken to women who are considering abortion in Edmonton. Great. So a few times a week, I'll get this text, and it's just this great reminder of this opportunity, rather, to be able to pray um, for these women, you know, have either chosen life through a conversation with the staff there or are... Um, on their way into the clinic. So prayers, first and foremost, I would say another really practical thing is talk to people about abortion. We have to be willing to have conversations with people. And I think something that we can get wrong sometimes is the media 
um, paints this picture, this issue is so divisive. Right. So, you know, there's a really hardcore pro-life people and the really hardcore pro-choice people. And those groups exist, but the majority of Canadians either don't care about abortion or they don't know. And those are the people that can actually change their mind when we speak to them. They might not become 100% pro-life in one conversation, but they might become more pro-life. Like most Canadians don't support the fact that abortion is legal throughout all nine months of pregnancy. Right. Just ask people, do you know that's the case here? That's right. And ask people, what do you think about abortion? And, and start having these conversations with them. That is huge. And I think that that can be more fruitful um, than maybe what we think, because I certainly can lack courage in those conversations at times, because I just think, you know, of this media narrative that everybody in Canada is fervently pro-choice. But I'll even say for people in my generation, we grew up with abortion as status quo. Abortion's just been a given, <laughs> but it's not necessarily because people actually feel strongly about the arguments for abortion. It's just that they're pro-choice by default. And so we can actually have conversations with people um, that do change people's hearts and minds. And I, I've seen that firsthand. Lastly, in terms of getting involved in the pro-life movement, there's really three different arms of the movement. Okay. So there's the educational arm, which is what I've done work in, and that's educating people about the facts of who preborn children are, what abortion does to them, trying to engage people in conversation and change hearts and minds. So for instance, if you're in university, get involved with your campus pro-life club. Mm. Um, there are groups like the Canadian Centre for, Bi for Bioethical Reform that you can support, you can get training from them, you can engage in the type of work that they do. Secondly, there's the pastoral arm. And this arm we used to describe the resources for women in, in crisis pregnancies. Mm. So again, there's that back porch in Edmonton, there's Pregnancy Care Centre. These are great organizations to support, to pray for their ministry, volunteer if that's something that you think God might be calling you to. And then the last arm of the movement, so there's educational, the pastoral, the last arm is the political arm. We need a law on right. abortion in Canada, right. desperately. There are groups like the Wilberforce Project is right. a great Alberta organization working to do that. The amount of impact you can have getting involved with a nomination of a pro-life candidate and their campaign is astronomical. Mm. And so if that's something that interests you, there's that's just one example of an organization that you could connect with. That's excellent. We're going to add those in the uh, description for the podcast as well for those links, because I think that's that's fantastic. Okay, last question uh, of the day, and I understand this is not really, you know, your field of expertise, but I'm, I'm curious, what effect do you think Roe versus Wade is going to have on Canada, if any? Mm -hmm. Is this just something, I mean, now that the legislation is pretty much, or the, uh, the issue now has gone down to the state level, so the states have to decide on whether or not they're going to continue this. That was a pretty landmark decision. First of all, has there been, like, are you aware of any sort of echo that has impacted the issue here north of the border? If not, then do you think this will eventually uh, rattle some of the quote-unquote legislative cages here? I cried when Roe v. Wade was overturned. I cried tears of joy. I couldn't believe it. Right. I, I just couldn't believe it. I'm, I'm sure you had the same, but I... You know, I had kind of given up hope in some sense. Yeah. Um, I didn't well, think I'm, that it was I, I confess I did not think that was going to happen. I'm, well, what? <laughs> um, so it, it is amazing. Yeah. It is it is a landmark turn mm -hmm. for the pro-life movement, especially in North America. How I saw our government react to Roe v. Wade being overturned in Canada was sad in the right. sense that their response was, you know, let's open up Canadian borders for people to have abortions here. Right. We can be this abortion refugee center for Americans. Right. And there was definitely a double down. There was a double down. Yeah. Exactly. And so I think 
as much as we can celebrate, and we should celebrate mm. the hundreds and thousands of lives that will be saved from Roe v. Wade being overturned, mm. we're not there yet in Canada. And no. there's so much work to be done. But what does give me hope is Roe v. Wade being overturned almost sent the pro-choice movement into this panic. And you saw that all over the media. <laughs> that something could happen here. The significance of Roe being overturned, um, as um, a previous colleague of mine, Jonathan Van Maren, remarked, is for the first time ever in the pro-life movement in North America, something that was chosen has become unchosen. Mm. Something that was done has become undone. Right. And that has, you know, re-energized the pro-life movement. Mm. It's reopened the conversation. You know, even as I've said, there's no law on abortion in Canada. I think most people didn't know that. And all of a sudden, Roe being overturned, people are asking, well, what is the law Correct. Um, here in our yeah. country? And so it's got people talking about it. Like mm. social media, even I've seen way more conversations um, happening about this issue, which is a good thing. And lastly, I think it, it does give hope that, you know, our, our brothers and sisters in the States had the courage to not give up. What was chosen was unchosen. That gives me a lot of hope and courage to just keep pressing on in Canada. Amen. Just two more bonus questions for you, Kiana. How does the average saint help those who have already had abortions? Because we know that there are people in our congregation who have had, they've gone through this, they might be wrestling with guilt, shame, regret. What would you recommend? I The first thing that comes to mind is Romans 8.1. There is no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. Amen. And I think that, you know, when we talk about the gravity of abortion, the beauty of the gospel mm. is that Christ's death on the cross was also to pay for the sin of abortion. A story that's been really inspiring to me is Pastor John Newton. I'm not sure if you're familiar with him. He wrote Amazing Grace, the famous song, but mm. he was a, a pastor during the slave trade, um, the transatlantic slave trade. And right. a lot of people don't know this, but he himself brought over 20,000 slaves from Africa to the UK. They suffered under him. He came to Christ and he wrote that song, Amazing Grace. Mm. And I always hear that song a little bit differently when I think about the writer and what that would have meant for him. And when he was asked about his past of, you know, being someone that had owned slaves, he said, I know of only two things, that I'm a great sinner mm. and that Christ is a great savior. Amen. And so that's what I would say um, to someone that's had an abortion in their past, Right, is that all of us are great sinners but Christ is a great savior and his death takes the sin of abortion, but also the guilt and shame that we can have freedom in Christ, that it's not who they are because mm. they have a new identity in Christ. Amen. But also that, you know, I've, I've worked alongside women that have had abortions and God has actually used their story to save the lives of other children of women who were considering abortion. You know, I know somebody that had an abortion as a teenager. She's much older now. And she's actually been someone that's volunteered at these centers and has shared her story with others to show them the sadness and the regret that she herself had. Right. And the Lord has used her to spare other women of that same pain. Thank God. So I think first and foremost, just reminding ourselves of the truth and the beauty of the gospel, even for abortion, it's not some unforgivable sin, yeah. but also that the Lord can use even our deepest, darkest sins and failures to glorify himself. And in the case of the pro-life movement, maybe even to help other women. Right. Praise God for that. Kiana, this has been uh, fantastic. Thank you so much for taking your time. I praise God for your courage and your compassion. This is wonderful. Any final thoughts you want to uh, leave our listeners with today? I would just say that 
I think there is hope in Canada. Our laws might be down the road, but there are women in our city this week that have abortions scheduled and we have the opportunity to reach them with love. And I would just challenge listeners in the next week to talk to somebody about abortion. Amen. To just ask one person in their life, what do you think about abortion? Right. Because the more conversations we have, the more public opinion will change. And hopefully that will prompt public policy to change in the future. Excellent exhortation. Just a simple question can go a long way. Thank you, Kiana. That's it for our time today on The Average Saint. If you have any questions or suggestions, please email us at questions at fellowshipedmonton.com. Until next time, this is The Average Saint, signing off.